You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Looking for car shows? Then look no further than FLACarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, FLACarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at FLACarshows.com. Some say the greatest threat to America is drug cartels represent a clear and present danger to the national security of the United States. Comes from other nations. Some say the greatest threat to America. The course of action I'd suggest is a course of action I can't suggest. Comes from within. We are two minutes to target. Looks like we've got our own little war. Harrison Ford is Jack Ryan. I'm appointing Ryan the acting deputy director of intelligence. The finding clearly states that our assistance is limited to supply and advice only. He doesn't know about it, Bobby. No troops, then. No troops. He needs to know nothing. He's going to know nothing. He swore to uphold are at risk. The explosion here rocked the ranch of Enrique Rojas less than an hour ago. You said it was going to be a surgical strike. That's a kid they just brought out on NBC. Why was I left out of it? You see everything in black and white. Not black and white. Right and wrong. The honor he is determined to defend is at stake. I'm afraid if I dig any deeper, no one's going to like what I find. Well, no about politics in Washington. I can explain it in four words. Watch your back, Jack. He's coming to you no security. Once Ryan's gone, we're back online. Based on the number one best-selling novel. There are troops, Jack! I didn't know that! You know I didn't know that! Harrison Ford. You went before Congress and you got the money for it. You went before Congress and you lied to... I never Under- lied to Congress! You lied to- Willem Dafoe. I'm on a plane. I'm gonna kill him. An Archer. Are you going away again? Be careful. And James Earl Jones. You took an oath. You gave your word to the people of the United States. Who authorized this? I think it's time the whole thing went away. Then it should go away. I will not let you dishonor their memories by telling me you had nothing to do with it. How dare you come into this office and bark at me like some little junkyard dog? I am the President of the United States! How dare you, sir! Paramount Pictures presents this summer's most electrifying motion picture, Clear and Present Danger. Hi there, this is Tommy Rowe. You can hear all of my hits on Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's jam up and jelly tight.
Well, guys, let's welcome you to the Nostalgic Radio and Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Right your computers at Google Tan Talk 1340.com, and you can see me live here in the studios in downtown Clearwater. Don't forget to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, where you can find out all about us. And if you've missed any of our past shows, 600 and I don't know, 80, 90, somewhere around there, lost count. And counting. And counting. Uh, don't forget to check out NostalgicRadioandCars.com. Now, good evening, Matt. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, sir. How about yourself? Pretty good, pretty good. Okay, so uh, we are going to have a live show here tonight. Um, we're sitting in the studios, and uh, I just want to give a couple of little uh, notes here. This last weekend, we had a really great time at uh, at the Lake Mirror Car Show. Now, it's funny because I found out about it last Tuesday. Somebody texted me during the show, and I forgot to mention it, so shame on me. Bad Robert. And uh, so, but it was a great show because they had the big car show downtown. It's in downtown Lakeland. It's great. And then, of course, they have the high end concourse around Lake Mirror. They actually had some amphibious cars, you know, the ampy cars running around in the water there, which is really kind of cool. They had some wooden boats running around there. They had sports cars, racing cars, classic cars, heavy American classics, Shelby's bosses, Porsches, Jaguars, Ferraris, no Duesenbergs, Packards. Um, what else was there? Um, Oh, Bugatti. They actually had a Bugatti, and it was actually um, Dr. Workman's car from uh, from uh, Orlando or the Lake Mirror area, and uh, that was pretty cool. And then uh, there was a gentleman there by the name of Guy Lewis. Uh, he was the um, uh, he actually was a, an attorney down in, in the in the in the Miami area, and he had, has an amazing collection of cars. And there's another gentleman by the name of Frank Rubino who's also an attorney from that area. They actually know each other. One's on one side, one's on the other side. One's a prosecutor, one's a defense attorney. And interestingly enough, they have really cool cars. And so I see, I run into these guys when I go to some of these car shows. And that's why I was telling you how this camaraderie thing works. So whether you're up in Audrain in Newport or Rhode Island, or whether you're in Boca at the concourse down there, or the Palm Beach concourse, or, or at St. John's, or at uh, Chattanooga, or you're at uh, Palm, um, Pebble Beach, you know, it's a camaraderie thing, you know, and what's interesting is some of these guys that have multi-car collections, they bring out some really, really interesting cars, and that's the beauty of the concourse, is there are some really outstanding cars, and they are very often cars that you may only see in an, at, a, uh, at, uh, at a concourse, and, and other than that, you might read about them in a magazine, just really, really, very, very limited production cars. We're, we had this discussion about... Um, Rolls-Royce, for example, or, or Duesenberg or, or Cadillac or Lincoln or somebody like that. And a lot of times people bought the chassis and then they had either LeBaron or they had uh, uh, Murphy or somebody like that build uh, a, a body, you know, a coachwork, you know, coachworks, which you don't see these days. I mean, there are some custom cars out there. And, uh, and there are, uh, I guess you would say, if Chip Foose did it, Chip Foos, my friend, obviously, Dave Kendig or uh, Steve Strope, when they custom body a car, most of these guys are doing performance-oriented cars, but technically that falls under the category of custom coach work, you know. And uh, Steve, uh, Rick Dorr, um, most notably, has done a lot of cars, particularly for, um, Matt, help me out here. Who's the lead singer for uh, Metallica? James Hetfield? Yes. Okay. So he's a big car collector. Very good. Thank you. Um, Welcome. James Hetfield. Right. So, and Rick Dorr and him are real good friends, and they do some really cool stuff. And a lot of the stuff that he builds is kind of like on the lines of, uh, I want to say classic 30s, mid, early to mid-30s, 40s, very Art Deco, um, 
industrial design cars kind of like you know really cool looking stuff and um so anyway that's that um what's coming up we got the moonshine festival this weekend in austinville or dawsonville georgia um you got sema coming up in a week also and we've got the muscle car and corvette nationals taking place in illinois and the latter part of the month and i think um we have the turkey ride run in november and then we have let's see uh, hsr has got a race at uh, daytona and vintage vintage racing and then there is uh in the carlisle group is doing their car show over in uh lakeland again which is the fall um collector car show carlisle over at the airport over there or the fairgrounds over there in lakeland so a lot of good stuff coming up now tonight we're all going to take a trip you're going to guys you're going to go with me and we're going to go to south america and the reason we're going to go to south america is because we're going to um learn everything there is to know about latin music latin jazz in particular so we have a very special guest coming on we're going to continue with rocktober and on that note matt is going to go ahead and fire up the stereo and we're going to play a little latin south american music and jazz and i hopefully you know like you know i listen to jazz quite frequently actually because when i'm doing my reports what i do is i put some soft music on sometimes rock and roll depends on what kind of mood i'm in and then i have that music playing in the background and for some reason it helps me concentrate so this is very to me very methodical so i like this particular <laughs> song this is done by our i won't tell you the name i will reveal it shortly but the, the name of the song is do you have is it me tierra Tierra. Yes. Tierra. Okay. You got it right. I got it right. Okay. So, hey, you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, I'm saying goodbye to Dave. Dave was on the show here earlier. And, um, but anyway, so you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't touch that doll. And I hope you enjoy some uh, very, very pleasant and soft Latin jazz music. We'll be right back. Thank you. 
Hi, this is Dave Mason, co-founder of the classic band Traffic and writer of a song which you all know called Feeling Alright. And you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars. It's time to introduce our very special guest for the evening. This gentleman is well-known in the uh, world of jazz musicians. Um, he's a very, very talented guitarist, a producer. I'm delighted to welcome him to the show this evening, Juan Carlos Quintino. Quintero. Did I pronounce that right, Juan? <laughs> hey, Robert. Yes, it's good. Quintero. Yes, thank you. So, uh, Juan, give us um, give us a little uh, a little brief history on yourself, and tell us a little bit about your background and and how you got uh, involved in the music. Well, um, you know, day one, uh, born in uh, Colombia, in Medellin, Colombia, and raised uh, primarily in the U.S. And uh, I spent some time in Europe. I was an army brat. My family uh, lived in. Brussels, Belgium, for a short uh, four or five years, and uh, then we came back to to, to the U.S. and settled in. So uh, high school days were in um, New Jersey, and um, went to music school shortly after. I went to Berklee College of Music out in Boston, and uh, is that a dip- there is- in '84? Is Berkeley a difficult school to get into? Uh, for, for me, it was a little tricky because um, you know, I went into the composition department. Um, so, I, you know, you had to have a lot of music together and write, you know, you just had to have a portfolio of music to get into that. Um, and I didn't go into the guitar department uh, just because I was uh, intimidated. Oh, <laughs> I thought the composition would be easier, and it turned out uh, harder than, than I, yeah, I could ever anticipate. Now, is, um, ex- diff- explain to our listeners, when you talk about composition, what what aspect of music are we talking about? Well, you know, Berkeley in those days uh, was primarily a jazz school, you know, it was um, unofficially at least, and, um, but all kinds of music was coming out of there, and... Um, but the, the theory and the study of um, songwriting, composition, arranging for um, different kinds of settings, you know, whether it be big band or a small band, uh, was really more of a jazz um, thing. You know, which is, that, that was really the focus. They had the pop classes, you know, and stuff like that, and they had um, engineering. Um, but that was really the focus in those days. Now, uh, from what I understand, it's really, um, you know, very contemporary in, in as far as mainstream genres, and you can get a degree in music business as well. So they really expanded over the years. It's great to see. Interesting, interesting. When you said you you were an army brat, um, was your dad or your family in the American military or Colombian military? Dad was in the U.S. Army. Okay. And um, back in those days, uh, you know, the Vietnam days, uh, the country was, uh, the U.S. was in need of a lot of uh, physicians and nurses. And um, so part of the um, uh, way to come to the United States was 
for for uh, uh, for my father, who was, who was completing his studies, um, was to come to America. But the, the the deal was you had to choose um, one of the armed forces, and he chose the army. And um, so quickly he became um, lieutenant colonel um, as a very young doctor, and, and was thrown into uh, running a a clinic. You know, the family was sent to Brussels, Belgium, to run a, a clinic for the U.S. families um, stationed out there. So it was it was you know quite a few years before we actually ended up settling in the U.S. Interesting, interesting. I bet that was an amazing experience for you to travel around. How about with the languages? How'd you get along there? You know what? When you're a kid, you don't realize how hard it is. That's true. That <laughs> is true. Think, right? You just think it, it's just that's just the way it is. And uh, so I had French-speaking friends, and, and we got by. Um, I went to a French-speaking school for one year, as my sisters, uh, two sisters, uh, they did the same. And um, you know, we just got we just kind of made it happen. You know, we, we lived in the neighborhood amongst all the, the native-speaking um, uh, families and. It was great. So I was a garçon américain for many years. Ah. You know, in the yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. But, you know, it's so long ago. I mean, once in a while I watch, a, you know, something on on Netflix and it's a French movie and my ears will perk up, you know. But I just don't practice it as I used to. So when did you, when did you develop your interest in music? Then I mean, at what age was that? Because you started playing like a lot of us. We all picked up the. I mean, growing up in the '60s. Well, of course, I'm a little bit older than you. I've got you by ten years. But so if and, you know, we all gravitated towards music, and a lot of us gravitated towards musical instruments. Because back in those days, yeah. we didn't have a lot of technology. So you either were in the sports, you're in the cars, you're in the bicycling, you're in the athletics, you know, or music. Right. Yeah, you know, I think I got the bug really early. Uh, you know, the thing about, uh, uh, you know, the, um, the Army base, you know, the, the setup is that the, the elementary school kids go to school with the high school students. I mean, they're in a separate building, but you're on the same campus, and you see them all day. You see the older kids all day. You, you, you hear their music. You you, you emulate their, their fashion, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so all of uh, all of us, you know, younger kids, we we, we kind of grew up a little faster, you know. We, we we matured in a different way because we were subjected to the older kids um, every day. You know, we, we we were in the same cafeteria with them. You know, we went to the library and we see them. It was just part of the, the scene and it was um, normal. You know, what was strange. For us, when we came back, was the idea that the schools were separate. Oh, really? Yeah, that was odd to us, because we were so used to being together with the entire range of um, age groups. Um, So, you know, we wore our little army jackets and our peace signs, and, you know, they were great. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) It was kind of unique in that that respect, but at the time, we didn't know that. We just Uh thought that's how how you went to school, you know. But um, so I got the bug early because, um, you know, I was subjected to the high school dance. You know, as a young kid, I saw what was going on. Um, and a funny little story, you know, I saw the band show up in the cafeteria 
midday or maybe it was in the afternoon, and they were setting up. And I just happened to be, you know, around at that part of the school. And I was just, you know, um, just taken by, like, this whole thing, you know, the idea of musicians coming in, setting up their gear. You know, and, and back in those days, you know, late 60s, early 70s, gear was big. You know, speakers were big. Everything was huge, you know. Um, technology hadn't arrived, you know, to, to what we're now used to. But So when these guys were loading in, trust me, they were loading in, you know. Um, and I, you know, I saw the sound check, and uh, I was convinced um, it was the band from the radio that showed up. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't know I didn't know what a top forty band was. You know what I mean? Uh huh. So um, I remember, you know, running home telling my parents the band from the radio was at the school. You know, and uh, my mother, who's so so incredible, really. I mean, the idea of what she did still blows my mind. But she took me back to the school for the high school band. Oh wow! And yeah, we stood in the back. And that's when I got the bug to this for this whole thing because I saw what was happening um, with the live band in the cafeteria. The, the lights were dim. It was no longer a cafeteria. You know what I mean? Right. Um, it was the a music dance. was loud. Yes. I saw the high school kids kissing and slow dancing, and you know, man, it's like a movie, you know. Uh huh. But I re- I remember that specifically um and the, the cool part is mom took me back to the school so i could see the band from the radio when you when you when did you develop your interest like for the style of music so like you're you're basically a jazz musician but now back yeah. then you know it's probably more than likely they had a rock and roll band there which obviously we were all influenced by rock and roll music but then sometimes people yeah. just kind of gravitate to you know jazz to rock to country uh and and then then other genres so when did you become influenced by jazz who 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 were some of the people that had a, a, a you know the kind of like an impact in and and your way of uh, practicing music and and so forth? Yeah, well, you know, I, of course, I went into into rock. You know, that was um, the music um, shared with my friends and was on the radio. And you know, rock was young, right? And all the music was great. And um, you know, I was attracted to that first. And um, but it was later in high school uh, we had our dance band, you know, our top forty band, and we played all the high school dances and things like that. Um, we started, you know, learning Steely Dan tunes um, in the you know in the mid seventies. Uh, Chicago, we would try to learn stuff like that, and then as soon as you, you touch on those guys, you're kind of you're, you're looking at jazz. But the jazz vocabulary. Yep. You know, and um, so from there, you know, it was it was Jeff Beck, you know, who's who kicked that door wide open, you know, because he had a different sound. I could tell he was using different kind of vocabulary, and um, sure enough, from there, I just went into more of a jazz thing, and it, that led me to even think about going to um, a music school. Did you ever have the? You mentioned Jeff Beck. Did you ever have the opportunity to uh, meet Jeff 
and work with him? Never, never. I wish I, I wish I had. To, to me, you know, he was this um, mystical force. You know that huh. you would read about or you'd see on on uh, on videos. You know, um, I came really close though because I have. I went to see him a couple times, and a friend of mine was his uh, road manager. Oh, really? And um, they, yeah, they were doing a tour. He was doing a tour with Santana, so it was a guitar night thing, um, and it was a great combo. But, um, yeah, I had a buddy of mine who was the road manager, and uh, and uh, he had road managed a tour that I I did as a sideman, you know, um, a couple of years before. And then he ended up with Santana, and then doing the Santana Jeff Beck tour. But he invited me to the show. We hung out, and by the time I made it backstage and that whole thing, you know, uh, Jeff Beck had already left. <laughs> so oh. I got really close. Yeah, I got really close, and, you know, just one of those things, um, the moment just kind of slipped by. Um, but, you know, what can you say, you know? It was, it, was, it was great being a fan. Still am. Jeff Beck has left the building. Well, I'll tell you what, when I'm reading your bio <laughs> there a little bit, I see that uh, not only you mentioned uh, Santana, so Carlos Santana, uh, Gato Bavieri, Tito Puente, those are all guys that kind of had an influence in you. Did And you mentioned Santana. Did you ever get a chance to meet Carlos? Yes, uh, several times. Um, a lot of his, um, players uh, ended up on, on some early records of mine. Uh, we all became very friendly. And um, and it was actually, I met him actually through that same uh, buddy okay. uh, who was road managing, uh, Rick Fantel. Shout out to Rick Fantel. Great guy. And, and my first tour as a sideman, when I came to L.A., I did a lot of sideman work, you know, the sessions and that kind of thing. And I ended up... Um, my first tour was with Engelbert Humperdinck. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, I spent a couple of years with him and went all over the world. Um, we ended up at Atlantic City playing one of the casinos, and Santana was the next door doing the same thing. Um, I think he was playing at Trump Casino, and we were at Resorts International, and they were, they were literally next door. Oh, wow. So um, because of Rick, I was invited over to to catch Santana's, um, you know, last few songs of his track right after we finished the show with Underbird. So I ran over there and I met Santana. Um, it was great, and I met him several times after that. But it was his, it, it was his band that I got to know um, in a deeper way, and they, you know, um, some of them ended up on my record. How did so, you uh, How did you become a sessions musician? Musician. You actually you know, did, you, that was like a, did you work with uh, Tedesco by chance? I sure, yeah, I sure did. Tom oh, Tedesco wow. Tom. was my uh, my mentor. No and kidding. He, uh, yeah, great. Um, you know, just a, a great man with um, generosity. You know, and um, if he if he saw that you were into it and you were you were getting you know you know getting your chops together, he would help you out. You know. Um, and, you know, the way he went about it was really the lesson. It was not so much about, you know, we're going to play and all that stuff. It was just about how he carried himself and how he strategized. Um, he was really into um, a player's ability to market themselves, you know, and how to get that going in town. 
Um, of course, this was before internet, you know. So you had to go out, hang out at clubs and meet people um, in a different way. You really had to have, you know, the energy to do that. And um, which I did, we all did, you know. But that was just a way of life, you know. You, you went out all the time. Um, so it was Tommy that ushered me into um, the L.A. scene um, really early. We had met at Berkeley, actually. He had come in for a clinic. And um, I ended up giving him a tour of the school, and we became very friendly, and I was just, you know, um, keep in touch with him shortly after that. And so by the time I came to, to L.A., he, he was there to greet me in so many ways. He actually picked me up at the airport. And um, I was uh, a young kid starting out, you know. Um, but he helped me out and taught me a few things. But one thing that I did learn from him was that I didn't want to be a session player. <laughs> you did not? <laughs> I did. I did not want to. Oh, really? I thought I did. Yeah, he, he, he showed me, because um, I would sit in on some, some dates and I would do a few things with him. Um, and I, I, re I soon realized that that was a special skill set, very, you know, very unique skill set. Um, where you take, um, you know, all your knowledge in music and you know, different styles of music, and you're really, you know, you're serving the client, you know, in, in every way possible. Um, so what you're... And I, and I did my... So I was going to yeah, say, so what you're saying that. is there's a certain discipline to being a session musician? Is that what you're saying, basically? Yeah, there's a certain uh, discipline, but, you know, like in everything else, there's a commitment. You know, okay. you have to really have to have a passion for it, and you have to be sincere about it. And, um, you know, I, I got my share of that. I did some tours, and um, the more I did that kind of stuff, the more I realized I wanted to focus on, on um, making records, which is a totally different avenue. You know? Okay. Um, because as a session player, for instance, you're going to own, like, 35 guitars, because... The client may need something, and you you better have it available. Really, you know, yeah. I mean, it's if they want dobro, they want ukulele, they want um, banjo, classical, different different acoustic guitars, different electric. Before you know it, you're just amassing a collection of guitars. <laughs> uh, in the event that that um, a producer will need a certain thing, and you're ready. Um, when you when you go the recording artist route, you can just have one guitar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's your that's your voice, uh, like BB King. You know, just one guitar, that kind of thing. Yeah, Lucille. Um, <laughs> Lucille, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so I, my focus changed. Um, my my first record came out really early in my career. In fact, Tommy played on on my first record. And um, but that kind of launched me towards that other other area of, of focus, and um, I was kind of dabbling with both, you know, both careers at the same time. But I, I soon realized that that my heart wasn't really into you know playing for pop singers or anything like that. You know what I mean? Let me ask um, you a question real quick. Was Carol Kay 
still um, playing with Tedesco back then? Because I know she, she. I talked to her one time. I invited her on the show. She was supposed to come on the show. We never did. But she's one of the. She was very, very well known in the late fifties, early sixties yep. because she was a bass player. Well, she went from yep. six string to four string, and she doesn't like the term wrecking crew. That's back when her and Glenn Campbell and everybody. Can you shed some light on that the the myth about the the the, the term wrecking crew? Well, you know, I think um, I think they they became that. Um, uh, you know, I don't know where where the term came from, but they were just known as a section, okay, go to section, and they did all the dates, all the all the album dates, and it was at a, a different time in the industry where sidemen were not given credit on these albums, you know. Uh-huh. So, you know, by the by the time the seventies rolled around that started changing. You know, you would see who played bass, who played drums on every track, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, But back back in, um, you know, when rock was young and a lot of those new artists were coming up, um, they didn't want to reveal that it was the same rhythm section playing on, you know, Funny and Cher's album and and then playing on Brian Wilson's album. Exactly. Or the Monkees. (laughs) Or the Monkees, yeah, but it was the same section. By the time I came to town, um, it was 86, and uh, Toto was really the wrecking crew, you know? Yes. Um, they were playing on everything. Um, they played on, you know, Michael Jackson hit, um, Boss Gags. Um, if you look at the credits, you would, you would start realizing, wow, that's Toto, that's the rhythm section, that's all of them, you know? And um, they became the new wrecking crew um, in pop music, and pop music had already changed. And um, so I came in in the, in the heels of, of all that. That was already established. Um, but by uh, 88, I had my first album out. And um, yeah, I started rethinking, you know, that, that session path. And it wasn't, it wasn't in my heart to do that, per se. Um, I still got a lot of calls, even though, I, you know, in, in my heart, I wasn't really feeling it. And I did a lot of that stuff, and it just, uh, I finally just... Um, segue out of that uh, just to focus on um, making records so so when you first started making records Juan what type of music were you playing and when did you go totally to, towards jazz and when did you go with the Latin influence well that that's all, you know that was really in play from my first record although it was um, you know it was Latin, it was Latin jazz I think someone someone would say it was light you know light Latin jazz because it wasn't like as deep as what I'm doing um, now in terms of uh, you know authentic rhythms and that kind of thing um, the smooth jazz was a new thing on the radio and um, because my, my music was was melodic we would get pulled into that and so that's what got me going it was it was really that genre that was a new genre and um and then I kind of, you know, I had the support in jazz stations and smooth jazz stations, which typically make that distinction of whether or not you're with one or the other. But for some reason, I ended up with both, and um, it worked out really well. Um, but uh, the Latin thing, as far as the purity of that, it started happening, I would say, in my uh, fourth record, um, where I started getting a little more serious about the authenticity of the, of the rhythms from, from South America. And I started bringing in different players to, to, to you know, to create that. Um, 
and now I love it. Now, I, now it's something that I can't live without. You know, um, just that authenticity. Okay, I have a question. So for our listeners, for example, so you're from Colombia, and I know there's music that comes out of Brazil, and there's music that comes, like Tito Puente was, uh, I think he was Argentinian, um, Sergio Mendez is Brazilian, and then there's Spanish, Castilian. Is there a, is, can you listen to the music, can you tell a distinguishable difference between the style, the flavor, the sounds, the melod- melodies? From from these different countries, even though they're all Latin, can you, is there a difference and a philosophy? Yeah, there's there's definitely a difference, and um, you know it's all it's all uh, regional. You know, it's, it's um, it, it really comes down to uh, you know the dance. Um, a lot of the rhythms that we hear about, uh, you know, they're really they're really describing a dance. So when you hear rumba, merengue, samba, um, bolero, those are those are dances, you know, first. And um, there's music that, that's wrapped around that. And by the way, Tito Plenty is a New Yorker. You know, he's actually, uh, um, you know, he's from New York. Um, um, but he's, uh, uh, you know, he mixed all the all the rhythms from South America into um, a New York Salsa. Oh, okay. You know, that, yeah, was a, which was a totally unique thing. And uh, a wonderful thing, too. You know, it's just incredible. Um, but yeah, so all the rhythms from South America are very regional and they're very uh, historically based. So the cumbia from uh, Colombia is uniquely different than the cumbia you hear in Mexico. So what does um, cumbia mean? Well, cumbia is a, is a very... It's a very folkloric dance. Um, it's like a two beat, almost like a polka. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, um, it has accordion and percussion, and really charming. And um, by the time I started dealing with it um, in a jazz, you know, context with some improvisation, um, I had to really be careful with it because you know you want to honor the, the tradition of all that. But I found a way. Um, I ended up putting a compilation together of all the cumbia recordings I've, I've done over the years, and that did really well for me. Um, and it's instrumental, of course. That's not typical. Usually, there's a vocal in you know, the cumbia tradition. Um, but all those things are up for grabs. You know, you you, you want to create hybrids by pulling in all the all the authentic rhythms and then putting them together and coming coming up with something new. You know, if possible, that's the challenge of it. So, like the albums you had, there was one I believe I was, is "Through the Winds." Was that an early album? And then there's "Los Musicos," and then there's "Los Primos," and then there's "Los Cumbias," like you said, and then "Los Guitarras," and then there's I think one and two. So, but these were all in succession. So you've got what six or seven or eight albums out so far. Not to mention your new one, "Desserts." Yeah, I think uh, I think we're at. Uh, coming in at 13. Oh, 13, uh, okay. Yeah, if I think of the, the, there's a couple of compilations that came out. Um, yes, yeah, so, so I, I had a self-titled one that released in the 80, uh, I was signed in 88, it came out in the 89, actually. And um, that was, you know, more of a contemporary jazz with uh, Latin, you know, some, some Latin tunes in there. 
but it was really light uh, in terms of this concept. And um, Through the Winds was a really wonderful experience. I was um, working with Todd Cochran, um, who produced it. And um, we tried some um, R&B stuff in there. We, we, you know, we did some contemporary jazz. We kind of mixed it up. Um, that was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I was just trying to figure out my concept. Um, but it was really uh, when I got into a, an album called Los Musicos that I, you know, I started working with um, producer uh, Guillermo Guzman, who's also from Colombia. And he actually started bringing in musicians that were more uh, versed in the style of music that I wanted to do. And also he brought in Colombian musicians as well. And so that changed the whole thing, uh, which I'm very grateful for. And then, okay, so the the latest album you've got out now, there's actually, and I'm, uh, and and the one before, I can't, it slips my mind right now. You had um, uh, table for five, table for five, exactly. And then, so <laughs> on both those albums, I think you've got, like on on desserts, you've got Moonwalk, which is uh, your version of a Van Morrison song, and I think on the other one, or maybe it's this one also, that's got. Uh, um, where the girls are, or, the, or or that one? It was an Andy Williams song, and uh, you do an instrumental. Oh on that. yeah, that's also it's also on dessert. So so we've got Moon Dance, right? I think Moon I, Dance. That's one of them. I think you meant Moon Dance. Yeah. And then the other one is uh, uh, where the girls walk, the or or uh, music music to watch girls by. That's it. it that's it. Old hit. Yes. Old hit by Andy Williams. Yes. And uh, a cor- a quirky little melody. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And. And uh, I remember hearing that in my parents' living room, you know, when I was a kid. And um, I thought, man, this, this, this cover is such a great little melody. And we, you know, we worked out an arrangement on a cha-cha-cha. And um, it just it just plays effortlessly on that kind of rhythm. So I was glad, glad to cover that one. Do you, uh, Juan, do you tour? Or do you, is most of your work studio and albums? I mean, do you tour with other bands? Do you go on the road? Well, um, we used to do a lot of shows um, a few years ago. I was with different booking agents and playing festivals. And um, for a brief time, I, I stopped doing that. Um, I got into some music supervision work for uh, film and TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, that took my attention. Uh, but I couldn't really um, get to touring the way I would, I, I would have liked. Uh, you know, it's funny, you know, uh, there's only so many hours in the day. Oh yeah, you, know, you had to pick a lane that was, you know, just while opportunities come through, um, you, you got to be you know, focused and 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 uh, correct with your, you know, with the work that you have. Um, so when I worked in supervision, I just I stayed focused on that. The clients really wanted a certain attention for that. So it left it left unfortunately very little room to get out on the road. Um, these days, we're getting uh, ready to do that, and you know we're uh, meeting with some booking agents to, to get us back out there. Um, but now we're committed to be, doing that in a real intense way. So coming soon, coming soon. Okay. Well, I just wanted to pass this along because just this past weekend, we have every year we have the annual Clearwater Jazz Festival. And, oh, I'm uh, familiar with. It. Okay, have you been there before? 
I haven't, but I'm familiar with the festival. Okay, well, you need to. We need to get you on that roster. Um, I will tell you that in 1979, when that originally started, it was a friend of mine by the name of Don Maines that came up with that concept. He was working for the. Uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce in the city of Clearwater, and I was working with the TDC, which was the Tourist Development Council. My parents were in the motel business. And uh, wow. so we got together, and he says, Hey, Robert, I want to do this jazz festival. And I'm going, Jazz, you know? And uh, so I said, Okay. And uh, he says, I want you to help me kind of get this thing off the ground a little bit. So, and he says, What I'll do for you is I'll give you the concessions for the t shirts. And I thought, well, okay. Now, I was young, dumb, and, you know, I didn't know much. I was just kind of like getting into things. I was still in school. And uh, I still have some of the original um, T-shirts from the 1979 Jazz Festival here in Clearwater. So, wow. But I thought, and over the years, we've had uh, some amazing people. Some of the people on that you've worked with have been here. And uh, this past yeah. weekend, they had, uh, I think, Buddy Guy was there. And then uh, it's it's kind of, it's gone a little jazzy and then a little rock. I mean, you had Kenny Wayne Shepherd and a couple other, you know, some country singers and stuff. But still along the same line. So that you definitely need to sure. look at that. Well, you know, listen, we're, we're open to it. I, you know, I have a, a new team that's come together. Um, of course, you know, my publicist. Um, we've got a, a radio promoter. We've got, uh, I have a new manager, um, Amy Worthington, who came on. Um, we've been working together for years on many projects, and we just finally uh, made it official. Uh, so, it's, you know, the team is coming together, the booking agents uh, she's dealing with. Um, but yeah, the timing's really good. Um, now we're, we're, you know, we have this momentum of getting albums out. Um, and you know, we're just reaching a lot of people and it's, it's uh, it's going really well. And, and it's funny you mentioned about, um, the festival, you know, going into different genres. What I've learned over the years is that, you know, when we play certain shows, it's, um, it's more about the, the, the demographic who just happens to love a lot of genres. Okay. And that's, yeah, so that's a, that's a great thing, you know. Um, so I'm no longer surprised when I hear, you know, a jazz festival, um, and they may have cool in the game. You know? <laughs> okay, yeah. Now, 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 now I get it. Now I get it. I'm like, yeah, man, go, go, go. You know? Okay. Now, when do you get a chance to talk about guitars? Let's talk a little bit about guitar. What type of guitar do you play? My main guitar is the Collins. Um, they're out of Austin, Texas. And the Collins I play is, is, is a um, Soko Deluxe. Um, my main act, and it's just great. Um, they sent me an, another one recently. And um, happy to have that association with, with, with the company. Um, I don't, for the nylon guitar, I use uh, Godin on the road. Um, also in the studio quite a bit as well. Um, no, that's acoustic, right? Yeah, so that's a nylon acoustic. Um, that's a great one to go on the road with. You can plug it into a system, and you don't have to worry about feedback or anything like that. That you know would otherwise um, be a problem for uh, an acoustic guitar on stage. You know, so um, Robert, Godin, and team they figured that out. My hat is off to them. Um, so yeah, those are my main guitars. You know, as far as uh, the sound, the sound that I get, um, and I use. I know a lot of guitar guys want to know the amp. 
And uh, so I'm not going to skip on that, but my, my new favorite amp is the CAR amp, um, C-A-R-R. Um, they made a sportsman um, amp for me a few months ago, and I'm just in love with it. That's a new relationship, and they're great. Super. Now, we got a few minutes left, so I know this is the most important part of the show. we got to talk about cars. So I understand you're a Porsche guy. <laughs> I've been saving this for last, the best for last. <laughs> Good man. Yeah, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan, you know, and, a, and an enthusiast. And uh, been uh, in my 9-11 for, for, for a few years now. And uh, I, I, I fell in love, let's put it this way, I fell in love in... Uh, it was in 2015. That's when I got my first, my first one, and uh, can't shake it off. And it's just something about it. So now, do you have modern Porsches or do you have vintage Porsches? I had the modern one. So the first one I had was the 2013. Okay. And now I have a, a 2016 um, 991 for the for the. The true enthusiast. It's the last. It's the last of the aspirated engines. Right. Before they went turbo. Yeah. And uh, so it has a certain sound and a certain feel to it. I love it. Do you is your is your car strictly for uh, daily transportation, or do you use it recreational recreationally? And do you do any track time with it, or? Uh, on the first one, I did some track time, um, but uh, I quickly. Uh, turned it into a daily and so the one I'm driving now is a daily and um, that's a, I think that's the secret thing about those cars is that, you know you can you could drive them every day it's not a, you know it's not a big deal and they can take all kinds of weather and you know um, yeah I, I love mine I, I take it to the store I, <laughs> I take it everywhere so it's not, it doesn't matter it's with me you know right <laughs> well, we got a few minutes left. Um, what besides when you're not doing music? What's what's your other hobby? What do you do for R and R? I'm back in. I, I'm in my Porsche, man. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, 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 Porsche. I forgot. Yes. <laughs> well, now, how close do you live to the close? Are you in the Santa Monica, Malibu area? Or are you in just a deep into L.A.? Whereabouts are you? Well, my wife and I moved from L.A. Uh, about four and a half years ago. We're oh. now in the Portland area. So we went north. Went oh. north to the northwest. Yeah, we're in the northwest. and um, It's rainy I up there. I've been in L.A. for about 33 years, and I came up here. And, yeah, we experienced rain and seasons. And uh, it's a new, you know, it's a different way of life. But we love it. You know, there's something really magical about the northwest. Um, oh, and the coastline you know, and everything. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole unique thing, and and you know, listen, everyone, you know, is, is different with this kind of stuff. But it was time, you know, it was time for me to to uh, say goodbye to LA. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, you know, I had a great experience, and uh, it gave me a career. Um, and there was a time where you had to go to L.A. or New York to get something going on, you know. And but I think that's not the case anymore. Uh, well, yeah, you're probably right now with all technology and everything like that. 
Juan, yep. we are we are up against the clock. So real quick, not real quick. We got a second or two. Go ahead and if people want to find out more about you and your music and your and your and your amazing talent, um, how do they find out more about you? Oh, thanks, Robert. Uh, I, I guess the website is probably the best way to go. Uh, JuanCarlosQuintero dot com. Um, so it's my full name dot com, and there you get all the information and um, and more. <laughs> and they think so. If they want to get your latest album, which is Desserts, and then the one just before that, which is Table for Five, they can do all that off your uh, website. Off the website or all the platforms, we're on, you know, all, all the platforms everywhere. Okay. So it's really, really easy to get, really easy to find. And uh, I can't thank you enough for having me on. So I know we're, we're making a little history because uh, you were telling me earlier uh, you haven't had a, a Latin artist. No, and I and I'm yes, yes, and I want to thank you very much. And it was a it was a truly a, a rewarding experience, and I truly enjoyed having you on the show. Look forward to seeing you here perform here in Clearwater at the Jazz Festival, and let's definitely keep in touch. Thanks so much, Robert. It's been a pleasure. Okay, been thank pleasure. you. All the best to you. Right. I want to thank my special guests, Juan Carlos Quintero. Uh, just an amazing jazz musician, and uh, you know, so definitely check out his website. In the meantime, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday between 7 and 8 p.m. on the Tam Talk Radio Network for the most fascinating and legendary names in music and motorsports. Rocktober, we got another week left, maybe a little bit more. we got a very special guest coming on next week, so be sure and tune in here. I want to see you guys some of the car shows. In the meantime, everybody stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family.